Well, let's take out our Bibles, church, and open to the third book in the New Testament, the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to bring it with you next time. But you can grab uh, today one of those blue Bibles from the rack in front of you. If you turn to Luke chapter 2 in one of those blue Bibles, you'll find it on page 1014. Page 1014 in one of those blue Bibles. The rest of you turn to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And if you're there, please say amen. amen. Here we go, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house of the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and said, which were just as they had been told. It's love. This account of Jesus' birth. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge that what we have just done in the last couple minutes is an awesome privilege. God, there are millions of Christians, as you know, around this world who cannot do the simple thing that we just did. There are millions of Christians around the world who can't open up the Word of God and read it publicly across the microphone for fear that they would be arrested or possibly even killed for their faith. Thank you for this privilege we have to read your word, to study your word, and to come to you in prayer and say, God, would you speak to us in this place today? I pray that we would not squander this privilege you've given us to study and hear your voice today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people sin. Amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's going to be a good one today. Go ahead. 
Amen. I'm so glad that you're here as we continue our new series, Christmas at the Movies. A few weeks ago, our church family voted on their four favorite Christmas movies of all time. Over the last couple weeks, we took a look at Home Alone, and last week, The Polar Express. And today, we're going to look at our congregation's second favorite Christmas movie of all time. It's a movie about a strange, tall fellow. Who accidentally got transported to the North Pole one Christmas Eve. He got transported to the North Pole accidentally in Santa's bag. And Santa discovered him on Christmas morning once he had returned to the North Pole. And he decided, well, let's have one of our elves raise him as one of his own. And at the age of 30, this human realizes he's not an elf. It was rather obvious to everyone, but he didn't quite get it until the age of 30. And so he sets out on a bold adventure to go to New York City to find his biological dad. The movie we're spotlighting today is Elf, your second favorite Christmas movie. I've got to say, this one's a little bit tougher to find the biblical themes in. But we found them, and I think it's going to be a blessing to you today. Feel free to break out your bags of popcorn. Uh, You're welcome to eat during the sermon. It's not sacrilegious during this series. And so feel free to eat the popcorn if you're sitting on an aisle seat. If you could pass those message down, message notes down to those in your aisle, that would be great. So we can fill in some blanks and jot down some notes along the way. This first clip I'm going to show you from the movie is just a few minutes into the movie. Uh, little Buddy has crawled into Santa's bag at the orphanage. And as this clip begins, it is Christmas morning. And Santa discovers the little stowaway in his Christmas bag for the first time. So, Santa has a decision to make. Fortunately, when it comes to babies, Santa's a, a pushing. So, Buddy stayed with a, an older elf who had always wanted a child, but had been so committed to building toys, he, he well, had forgotten to, to settle down. Santa! Yes, yes, I, I raised Buddy. I was his adopted father. Though a buddy grew twice as fast, he, he wasn't any different from the other children. Too fast, buddy. I mean, not, not really. Now, before we learn how to build the latest and extreme graphic chipset processors, let's recite the code of the elves, shall we? Number one. Three every day like Christmas. Number two. There's room for everyone on the nice list. Number three. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And one day, when Buddy was old enough, I made him my own personal apprentice. Never been in this room before. Well, I think it's time you start your ticker training. <gasps> You're going to help me make it fly. Uncle Magical Reindeer made the sleigh fly. And where did the reindeer get their magic from? Christmas spirit. Everybody knows that. Well, silly as it sounds, a lot of people down south don't believe in Santa Claus. What? Who do they think puts all their toys into the tree? Well, there's a rumor floating around that the the parents do. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, parents don't do that all in one night. Oh, what about Santa's cookies? I suppose parents eat them too? Yeah, I know. I, I know. And every year, less and less people believe in Santa Claus. I mean, we have a real energy crisis on our hands. Oh. I mean, just see how little the uh, plasmometer is. That's shocking. 
That's why I came up with this little beauty of the 60s. What, what is it? it it's a Green Oak 3000, a 500 reindeer power jet turbine engine. Without it, the sled couldn't get more than a, a few feet off the ground. We got a short on my thermocoupler. You want to give me a hand with that? You want me to help? Well, Buddy the Elf didn't really fit in too well at the North Pole. The other elves thought that he was a nice guy. They kind of liked Buddy okay, but they at the same time thought that he was a lousy elf. Not only was he twice as tall as the other elves, when it came to making toys, he was really, really slow. He just didn't have that natural ability that an elf has to make those gifts so quickly getting ready for Christmas. And so he kind of stood out like a sore thumb. Have you ever felt like a round pig in a square hole? Anyone ever felt like you didn't fit in? Buddy didn't feel like he fit in there with the other elves. They liked him, but as hard as he tried to fit in, he just didn't fit in. Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? It's kind of how Buddy felt. Felt like you didn't belong. And you're not alone if, if you felt that same way, because in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now this time of year, I'd like to remind you that shepherds were basically social rejects in first century Israel. At the time that Jesus was born, shepherds were not looked up to. They were actually looked down upon. And so, you know, we don't raise sheep, any of us that I know of, and we're not around sheep very often. So we tend to have a very idealized view of what sheep look like out in the fields. Whenever we see a manger scene or paint a picture of a manger scene, the sheep are, are nice and white and fluffy. Uh, and then there's the little lambs, right? And the little lambs look a lot like this. Aren't they cute? I just want to adopt all three of these little guys. They're, they're nice and, and soft and fluffy and so clean and white. And then these beautiful little lambs will grow up and become like this beautiful, mature adult sheep. Once again, nice and white with fluffy wool. But you know, when sheep have been out in the fields for a while, they don't look like this. They look more like this. <laughs> To be honest with you, I have no idea how this animal can see. It's got the overgrown face mullet going on. It's got the dirt. It's got the grass covering its head. It's not unusual for a sheep out in the fields, especially when it's been raining and gets a little muddy out there, to look like this. And those cute little lambs I mentioned to you and showed you the picture of, those little lambs, they look beautiful when they're all cleaned up. But have you ever seen a picture of a newborn baby lamb? This is what they look like. So I want you to imagine, you're in first century Israel. In first century Israel, the Jewish people made a big deal about ceremonial cleanliness. What that meant was, if you wanted to go to church, for them that was the Jewish synagogue, you had to make sure that in the last 24 to 48 hours you hadn't touched dirty fluids, like urine, feces. And especially blood. 
And so if a man had been working out with the cows or with the sheep or whatever and he had touched blood, he wasn't allowed to go to synagogue for a period of time until he could be ceremonially clean. And ladies, I hate to break it to you, every single month when there was the flow of blood, you would have your period. You couldn't go to synagogue for a period of time because the flow of blood they said made you unclean. And so this was a regular thing in first century Israel. So imagine yourself as a shepherd. Every day you're dealing with dirty sheep. With all of this wool, urine gets stuck to it, and feces gets stuck to it, and blood gets stuck to it. You're dealing with these dirty sheep every day. So by the time Jesus is born, the Jewish people have decided that shepherds are permanently unclean. They could never go to synagogue. You came today and didn't think much of it, probably walking into a church service. It's a privilege. It's a freedom we all enjoy. If you were in first century Israel and you were a shepherd, you could never do the simple act that you did this morning coming to a service. You weren't allowed in the synagogue. They were looked down upon. They were considered to be dirty liars, so they weren't allowed to testify in a court of law. If they were witness to a murder, they couldn't testify. The people thought their testimony was worthless. They're dirty shepherds. And not only that, when the census was taken, remember in the first couple of verses, it talks about Caesar Augustus' census. All the people had to return to their homeland to be counted in the census. Shepherds were out in the fields because they didn't want them to show up for the census. They didn't need to be counted. It's as if they were considered to be less than human. And so here these shepherds were in first century Israel, and they were absolute outcasts. They didn't measure up according to their culture. In a similar way, there in the North Pole, the elves looked at Buddy and decided that he didn't measure up. Honestly, some of us here today have had our parents look at us and tell us we didn't measure up. Some of us have had a spouse or an ex-husband or ex-wife look at us and tell us we didn't measure up. Get out of my life. Some of us have had our kids tell us as much. Many of us have had bosses say, you're fired, you're out of here, you don't measure up. You don't cut the mustard. I don't want you working here anymore. Others of us have had friends say we didn't measure up either. And normally when someone tells us we don't measure up and tells us to get out of their lives or get out of their workplace or get out of their neighborhood or get out of whatever, normally we respond in one of three ways. The first option is we lash out in anger at the ones who have rejected us and we harbor bitterness toward them. Let's be honest, how many of us have done that a time or two? Oh yeah, you don't want me here? Oh yeah! <laughs> That's about as loud as I get. If you want me to get louder, I can't hear. Sometimes we lash out in anger, and some of us take hold of that bitterness, and some of us hold on to that bitterness for years. It's amazed me over the years, sitting down and talking with individual Christians. There's some Christians out there, maybe even in this room today, who have held on to a grudge or bitterness against a loved one that they've become estranged with, held on to that bitterness for years. I remember talking to a guy a few years back. You'd think he was a strong Christian, and... You know, following the Lord, coming to church all the time. And he decided he had written off a family member some 30 years ago and refused to reach out and talk to him. I think that's really sad. But that's a very common reaction when we feel rejected. The second common reaction, we internalize that rejection and we give up. Most of us have done this at some point or another. When someone rejects us, especially someone that we respect, someone we look up to, and they reject us, we basically go off in a corner somewhere and just wallow in our own 
self-pity. We give up. The third common reaction, we leave and we search for acceptance somewhere else. Okay, you don't want me here? Fine, I'm going to go somewhere else where I am accepted. I'm going to go somewhere where I am wanted. Let me say at this point, whatever has brought you here today, you are wanted here today. You will be accepted here today. Because we all come evenly and equally at the foot of the cross. No matter what our problems are, no matter what our sins are, no matter what our shortcomings are, no matter how many people reject us, we're all on the same footing at the foot of the cross in need of a Savior. Amen? Amen. Well, which of these three options did Buddy the Elk choose? He chose option three, didn't he? He didn't fit in at the North Pole with the other elves, so he decides to take a long trip south to New York City to find his biological dad. And so Buddy dreams of being accepted by his dad with open arms. He has these visions of meeting his biological dad, and, and they're able to go ice skating together, and they're able to hold hands and snuggle all day. He has these wild, envision, the wild visions of what it's going to be like with his dad. But then, when he gets down there to New York City, and goes to the Empire State Building where his dad works, and meets his dad for the first time, he quickly discovers why Santa had put his dad on the naughty list. Excuse me. I'm here to see a Walter Hobbs. I'm Buddy the Elf. You look hilarious. Who sent you? Papa Elf. Papa Elf? Mm -hmm. From the North Pole. From the North Pole? Yes. So you really think we should ship him? No. I think we should take a $30,000 bed. So some kid can understand what happened to a puppy and a friggin' bitch. Ship. Yeah. Mr. Hobbs? It's Ma'am Intercom. Yeah, I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Dad! <laughs> all right, uh, let's get it over with. I walked all day and night to find you. You look like you came with our fault. Santa must have called you. Oh, yeah, sure. Just got on the cell phone. You did? So, go on. Go on with what? Well, I, are you going to sing a song or something, or can I just go back to work? A song? Uh, yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Uh, I'm, I'm here with my dad, and we never met. And he wants me to sing him a song. <laughs> and um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. Well, that was weird. <laughs> Usually guys just uh, put my name in the jingle bells or something. It's me, your son. Susan Wells had me, and, and she didn't tell you, and, 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 but now I'm here. It's me, Buddy. Susan Wells. You said Susan Wells? Yes. Who sent this Christmas gram? What's a Christmas gram? I want one. I think we should call security. I like to whisper, too. <laughs> it's okay, Walter's my father. Well, your dad's busy right now. Okay, I'll come back later. Yeah, no, you're not going to go back for a while, okay? You're going to go back to Sandland. Okay. Yeah, why don't you go back to Kimball? <laughs> Poor buddy. He just wants to fit in and 
wants to just spend some time with his dad and get to know him, and instead he gets thrown out of his dad's office building. It's thrown out of the Empire State Building. So he doesn't fit in at the North Pole. And so far he doesn't fit in in New York City with his biological dad. But instead of sulking, Buddy takes that security guard up on his snarky advice. And he goes over to Gimbel's department store. And as he's walking through Gimbel's, he stumbles upon, we can't believe it, Santa's Village. Set up there inside Gimbel's department store in the toy section. And so there he is in Gimbel's department store. And the employees that he gets to meet there, and even his new boss that he meets there at Gimbel's, they have absolutely no Christmas spirit, do they? They're wearing the right outfits that they should wear as elves and, and people that are supposedly supposed to be at the North Pole. But he finds that there is just no enthusiasm for Santa's company. There's no excitement, but Buddy is able to allow his excitement to become a little bit more enthusiastic and be a little bit more contagious there with the crowd. Here's this next one. Wow! What's this? This is North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. Sign for announcement. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to Santa. Ah! Oh, my God. Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah. Just keep it for seats. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Santa's coming to town. Oh. Hi. Santa's coming. <laughs> 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 this scene right there is one of the reasons why this film is so popular at Christmas time. You can find a lot of great Christmas movies out there. There's a lot of good ones, whether it's A Christmas Carol or Miracle on 34th Street or Home Alone or The Polar Express or any number of others. But I guarantee you, you look at all of those Christmas classics and you look at all the characters in those Christmas movies, you will not find a single person who is as excited about Santa Claus as Buddy the Elf is. This enthusiasm is off the charts. And we just love that scene where it says, Santa! No one is as excited about Santa as he is. And so it's contagious. Not yet, at least in the movie it's not. But given some time, it becomes a little bit more contagious. Buddy is so excited about Santa coming to Gimbel's the next day. You know what happens next? He stays up all night long decorating Santa's village with little cut-out paper snowflakes. And he assembles this beautiful Lego cityscape. And he uses the little light bright to do a message for Santa above his throne. He spends all night decorating Santa's village because he's so excited that Santa's coming. But then Santa comes the next day, and poor Buddy gets quite a letdown.
talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, well, of course I am. <laughs> you're Santa. What song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Happy birthday, of course. <laughs> How old are you, son? You're a big boy. What's your name? And uh, what can I get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. What did you do? You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? It's cool, Zippy. You sit on the throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're gonna have a new Christmas, all right? I like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay.
gone to a funeral or something. And so the poor lady, she called her church the Frozen Chosen. And that's not that uncommon, is it? Churches across America, there needs to be excitement in our worship. In churches across our country, when someone shows up to church as excited about Jesus, as Buddy is excited about Santa, in many churches, that person is told to cool it. Just like the manager told them, no, 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 there's no singing in the North Pole. Many Christians are told when they show up and get a little too excited, no, 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 we don't bounce up and down during a worship service. That's not appropriate. We don't sing too loudly to Jesus. That's not appropriate. We don't get excited when we give back to Jesus. We're not supposed to do that. Keep it down. This is a worship service. So often, we mistake enthusiasm for something that's 180 degrees from worship, when maybe God is telling us through this silly little movie that enthusiasm, when it comes to Jesus Christ, is a really good thing after all. Imagine if someone did on a Sunday morning in a worship service what Buddy did when his manager announced that Santa was coming the next day. Remember when he yelled out, Santa! Imagine if someone did that on a Sunday morning. They hear for the first time, Jesus went back to heaven, but he's coming back to take you to be with him in heaven. Can you imagine someone hearing this for the first time saying, Jesus! Oh my goodness! And then the ushers will kind of escort that person out the door. This one's a little wacky. Make sure you keep them at a distance because that could be infectious. Other people might get a little too excited too. We don't want people to think we're Pentecostal around here. Start rolling down the aisles or something. Well, there's a difference between Pentecostalism and simple childlike enthusiasm for Jesus. And God has called us to be enthusiastic about Jesus. Well, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, the Bethlehem shepherds were a few miles outside of town watching their smelly, dirty sheep. And it was a normal night. There were no indications that this night was going to be any different than the other nights that they'd been out there in the fields. But then all of a sudden it says, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but I kind of think it looked something like this. The glory of the Lord shone around them. The fields I'm imagining were, were lit up. And the shepherds reacted in the same way that just about everyone else in the Bible reacts when an angel suddenly appears to them. These uh, shepherds were absolutely terrified. They were scared to death. And so the angel says to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Then something even more amazing happens. All of a sudden, all of these angels appear. There were hundreds for sure, maybe even thousands of angels filling the hillsides. And they all say in unison, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. After this first angel had finished delivering his message, all of a sudden these hundreds of angels appear. And there they are, saying together with enthusiasm and excitement, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest. These angels are pretty excited about Jesus' birth. And they pass that enthusiasm and that excitement on to the shepherds. They announce this good news of great joy, and the shepherds embraced that good news. They embraced that great joy, and they ran with it, didn't they? Literally. They ran with that good news. Well, in the movie Elf, we're never told 
what the source was of Buddy's amazing enthusiasm. But we have a very good idea in Luke 2 where the source of the shepherd's enthusiasm was, right? Because that enthusiasm, that excitement about Jesus' birth was handed down to them from the angels. And we know the angels got excited about Jesus' birth because God the Father was excited about Jesus' birth. So it kind of went down like this. Up there in heaven are all the angels, and God the Father announces, now is the time I'm sending my son down to earth, and tonight is the night he's going to be born of that virgin in a stable in Bethlehem. And God is excited about sending his son because he so loves the world. And as God is excited, that excitement is contagious. The angels pick up on that, and now the angels are excited. And God says, okay, I'm going to hand pick a few thousand of you to go down to earth and announce to shepherds out in the fields outside of Bethlehem what is taking place tonight. And the angels are so excited. They've been chosen by God. And so they take that enthusiasm and they take it down to the fields outside of Bethlehem. And they skew it all over the shepherds. Unto you is born this day in the town of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. This is good news of great joy. And the shepherds take hold of the angels' enthusiasm and they spread it to anyone who will listen. This contagious enthusiasm ripples from God to the angels, to the shepherds, to everyone in Bethlehem who would dare to listen to those shepherds. It says in verses 15 through 18, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. These shepherds were so, so excited. About Jesus' birth. They were so excited. These hundreds, maybe even thousands of angels had come to them, even though society had told them that they were nobodies. Even though society had told them that they were social rejects and couldn't come to the synagogue and couldn't go into a courtroom and couldn't even be counted in the census. Despite the, the society telling them they were nobodies, evidently God thought they were somebodies. Even though the culture thought they weren't important, that they were outcasts, God included them in the manger scene. There was no doubt, no matter what people thought of the shepherds, they mattered to God, and so do you. The shepherds mattered to God, and so do you. Jot this down on your handout, would you please? What matters most is not whether or not people think that you matter, but whether or not God thinks you matter. And Christmas morning proves... You matter to God. Amen? Amen? Christmas morning proves that good news has come to you. Good news of great joy. Even if you think you're a nobody. Even if you think you're an outcast. Even if you think you're a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't matter. God thinks you're somebody. And Jesus Christ came for you. You matter to God. Well, near the end of the movie, Buddy's biological dad, Walter, blows up at him. He tells him to get out of his life. And even though earlier Buddy had been so resilient when he was rejected, on this occasion he internalizes that rejection. And he decides that he doesn't fit in at the North Pole and he doesn't fit in in New York City either, so he's just going to run away. And that's what he does. But just a few minutes later, Santa's sleigh crashes in Central Park. And there's just not enough Christmas spirit to keep 
that sleigh up in the air, the clausometer is almost at zero because there's hardly any Christmas spirit to keep it up, and the engine is failing. So Buddy runs into Central Park to see if he can help Santa out, to see if he can save the day. And the greatest hero in Buddy's life, Santa Claus, speaks a word of encouragement into Buddy's life. I think this is possibly the most powerful and inspirational clip in the entire movie. Santa! Back off, Slick. Stand in here. Buddy, is that you? Are you okay? Boy, am I glad to see you. The clothometer suddenly just dropped down to zero. There's just no Christmas spirit anymore. The, the strain was too much. The engine broke free of her mouth. I need an elf's help. I, I'm not an elf, Santa. I, I, I can't do anything with Buddy, you're more of an elf than anyone I ever met. The only one who I would want working on my sleigh tonight. Really? Really? Will you fix it for me, buddy? I'll try. Papa, tell me how. You gotta find it first. Drop off the sleigh back over there, a ways. The engine. The engine. Oh, buddy. Go, Mr. Elf. Over the next few minutes, uh, Buddy finds the missing jet engine. He returns to Santa's sleigh, begins to install it underneath the sleigh. As the mounts there in Central Park, the Central Park Rangers are on horseback chasing down Santa and his sleigh. And what Buddy discovers over the next few minutes is that the time he had spent in the last few weeks there in New York City, spreading Christmas cheer, spreading that Christmas spirit, as they call it, it was more contagious than he had ever imagined. Buddy had made a difference. Making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better. 
and enthusiasm and excitement. Help us to have that enthusiasm and that joy and excitement for you. If a silly six foot three elf can have that kind of enthusiasm for Santa, certainly we can have that kind of enthusiasm for you. Because you're the most exciting thing in the universe. Thank you, Lord. I want to just take a moment, Lord, to pray for anyone here who's going through a difficult time this Christmas season. I want to first ask, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you are here today and you're going through a tough time this Christmas season, maybe because you've lost a loved one this year, this may be your first, for others of us, a second Christmas without that loved one. I'd like to pray with you today. If you're just struggling this Christmas season, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. See those hands. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, I lift up those that have just lifted their hands into the air. Some of these, Lord, have lost a spouse or a parent or a sister or brother or child. Lord, I just pray that you would comfort them and give them peace and strength this Christmas season. Others of us here look back on this last year and we realize that some relationships have become estranged. Some of us have seen our marriages take a nosedive. Others of us have seen our kids kind of go their own way or maybe a relationship with a brother or sister go the wrong direction. <laughs> you just lift your hand in the air. I want to pray for you. This is a tough season. As we've got some relationships that need some mending. I see those hands. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, I pray for those that have just lifted their hands. God, would you also give them strength and peace and healing this Christmas. Lord, for some that have just raised their hands, this Christmas will be so much different than prior Christmas seasons because someone is missing around the table. Someone is missing around that Christmas tree. Someone is missing even today in this worship service with them. So, Lord, I just pray for your comfort and your strength and your healing on each of these. And finally, I want to ask if there's anyone here and you realize that if your life were to end today, you probably wouldn't make it to heaven. Because you have not clearly turned from your sin and put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life. If today you want to put Jesus Christ in charge of your life and say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior and as the Lord of my life. I want you to just slip your hand in the air. I'm for you. Is there anyone here today? I pray for you to be fantastic. God bless you. I see that hand. Are there any others? In a group this size, I think there's probably more than one. Any others that need to accept Christ today? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for these who lifted their hands and those even that didn't. Father, I just pray that you would just come into their hearts, that they would humbly come to you right now and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner. I need you to wash me clean. I need you to come into my life and give me a brand new start. I need to start obeying you. I need to get baptized and begin obeying your laws. I need to stop being in the driver's seat of my own life and put you in the driver's seat of my life. Lord Jesus, I pray that those here who need to make that decision will, for your honor and glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.